and there's a select few of physical therapists in the world that are pushing like work out hard and push hard through overcoming mm. your injuries. And with the Mountain Tough Lab, it's been fun to watch because I definitely lean on the push hard side carefully, but mm. obviously I've got to witness a few times just being in the lab because we've seen a lot of just being in Bozeman, you see a lot of ACL, MCL, and we've seen people that have got those injuries fixed and disappear for six months. When we've seen some law enforcement individuals in town that got those same injuries, got them fixed, and were like, they were back in the next day against the surgeon's advice, against the physical therapist's advice, and they their recovery is a night and day difference than the people that that take way too much time off, and so that balance between using your mindset to overcome injury versus listening to the culture tell you just to rest and rest and rest is super interesting. And where is that line? And it's, that's an interesting question. Um, and I think a lot of it stemmed before the accident, but very much so, you know, that's one thing I found in recovery was that most people were trying to tell me like, this is how it is. This is how you survive now. This is, you know, basically who you are. And, and I get it for a lot of reasons that's the hurdle 90% of people go through. And, you know, there's an identity shift when you become paralyzed and you're told you're never going to walk again. And for the most part, most people are struggling with, like, who am I? How do I, like, do the things yeah. I used to do, right? And so the job of those physical therapists is to help you cope, right, for the most part. And let's just assume that 90% of people that they deal with are, at least in the facility that I was in, We'll probably never walk again. And so like their job is to help you cope with that. And mm -hmm. mine, due to a lot of reasons we can get into it, was very much like, no, you're wrong. I'll prove you wrong. I'll outwork everyone. Like I just have to, I just have to outwork everyone. And I specifically remember a point, you know, throughout my entire rehab, um, was very much of that mindset. <laughs> but I remember, you know. There's a, a treadmill. I forget the name of the uh, contraption, but essentially it's like they put you in this harness and you're yep. on this treadmill and they're trying to like, I always say it's like throwing a dead salmon upstream and it floats back and they call it walking, but like they <laughs> put your leg on the top of the treadmill and it would come back, you Drag know? And like, it. Yeah. And it was just like, this is what it does. And the poor nurse that I had, like, you know, like this was supposed to be like a 20 minute exercise. And I was like, no, we just do like, this is our full-time job. Like, you know, this is like. I will train eight hours, 12 hours a day. All to, day. Yeah, all day. I, what else do I got to do? I'm stuck in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> so the poor nurse is like throwing this dead salmon up river to let it come back. And I was like, no, you know, and in my head, like I was like, you just have to keep doing that until it comes back. Like, I don't care if we're both sweating, like this is what we do. And like that became my mindset. And a lot of that was is like at that point in my life, I was very much in the professional stage of like, I will train train, train, train. That's what I did. And I was racing a lot. And so everything was like, I will just outwork it. Mm -hmm. And that's good to a point. And I think that like, there can be downsides to that. Um, for sure. I remember I got out <clears throat> and I, this is going to sound comical, but I could run, but I couldn't walk. Um, and the reason was, is like walking took a lot more like 
precise movements, if you will, or running was just like, I could throw my sure. leg up there and it was like, I would just run until I figure out how to walk. Yeah. And so I ran like five miles one day, like, and I, I could not walk, but I could like kind of run and I would fall down like literally repeatedly. And I would just, I was like running and running and running. And I was like, I will figure this out, you know? And <clears throat> actually what happened was, um, we, this, we're kind of getting our head of ourselves, but during the accident, I had pushed a bone through my spinal cord and created a hole. And um, so as I run, was running, the pressure, I forget the terminology, and someone can correct me on this, but um, essentially the pressure was building. It was pushing fluid into my spinal cord, but not letting it back out. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually um, how I lost all pain and temperature feeling in the left half of my body is because I was like, I will push this. And so I was pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Well, it actually caused, yeah, I pushed it too hard, Yeah, which, you know, I've always said that I'd rather not be able to feel anything than not be able to walk, you know? Like, For sure. <laughs> so, so like Crazy. you can't push it too far, but yeah, I was, at that point in my life, it was like, I just 100% believed everyone was wrong and I was going to like prove it. Like I was like, it was kind of like, you know, when people tell you, you can't do something, you have to go do it. And so there's two different mindsets you have to have, you know, like you have to just assume, and it's like success. If you just envision success, you'll get there, right? Like it may take a long time, but you're like, you see, this is where we're going. This is the vision I have. And that's kind of how I was with recovery. It was like, absolutely not. You are wrong and I'll prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. And like, I just out for the world, you know, for right or wrong. And it's like not a great, as I've gotten older, like it's not a great mentality to have all the time, but like definitely at that point in my life, it was like, no, I'm, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. All our greatest strengths have a dark shadow. And yes, <laughs> I think that is a great strength of overcoming adversity. But if you push it too hard, certainly there's dark shadows that reveal themselves. For sure. And like, it was a struggle on relationships, like definitely like, you know, that was, um, so when, uh, when I actually had the accident, that was on my one year anniversary of my first marriage. And I, you know, this, like I will prove everyone wrong, probably had a lot of downsides to that first relationship. You know, like, you know, outworking everyone comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. And um, and like those, you know, personal relationships, your peace, your success in, you know, all your relationships, friendships, all those things. Like it definitely has its toll. So like there are pros and cons. Like you do have to have this belief that you're going to be successful. But I, as I've gotten older, I've like pushed less against it at all costs, if that makes sense. Did the, did the, I won't quit mentality come from your parents, from your upbringing? That's a good question. Um, if I had to guess, it came from like an entire childhood of, you know, like being smaller, being like not the best or like just being, having to outwork everyone. Like if you go back and <clears throat> like, I remember even getting into like football and stuff. Like I, I didn't get, you know, I'm six one now, but like, obviously I wasn't until probably my senior year. And so like being a really small, like, but I was also the quarterback of the football team and like having to fight for those positions. So I think sports definitely started that funnel of like, okay, I'm just going to outwork people. And like, when you aren't the most gifted in the field, you have to outwork people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something you learn in early age with sports and it's the upside to sports. And like, it teaches you like, I just outwork people. I just outwork people. And you know, that's where it stems from. And then it kind of like, it's like that seed that germinates and grows, but you have to like figure out at what point you're like, okay, now I need to tone that back a little bit. 
an Oregon kid growing up yeah. playing football and motocross, correct? <laughs> yeah. 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 And just, I always say I'm just a dumb grass seed farmer. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit, it probably is that. Like I, you know, my, my dad played college ball and was like super hard on, you know, football was life. And you grow up in a small town, football's life. Like that's, you know, that's the only thing. And so like here either football or farming and like that's kind of like both of which are very uh, work ethic oriented, if you know what I mean. Like, and yep. so like, you know, that's, that, that's where it starts. And like, so you, you know, you grew up in a small town. Football is pretty much everything, so you have to succeed at it. And then, like you know, you're you're just pushing really hard. And yeah, my, you know, uh, my my dad pushed us pretty hard. Um, but ironically, you know, it's funny about that. <clears throat> my best friend growing up, um, his dad played college baseball, and you know, my dad played college football. And his dad was like the hard ass. He was the baseball coach pushed us so hard. Like we'd go play and it was like grounder drills, you know, like constantly we were working on the field. It was like eat, sleep, breathe. And my dad had to like, kind of, he was a hard ass, but like never pushed us. And I, cause I think he got pushed super hard as a kid. Like his dad, my grandpa was like super hard on all his boys and football was life. And it was like, so like too far. Yeah. I took it too far. And so, you know, with, with my dad, he never, I always felt like he never like pushed us to the level it took to be that collegiate athlete. Whereas on the baseball side, you know, me and my buddy, um, you know, and our coach, like great guy, I think he instilled a lot of work ethic in us, but just drove, you know, push, 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 push. And like, we, both of us ended up like not wanting to play baseball at all because like it just pushed us. It was like, God, you know, this is what, you know, he wants us to do. And as naturally as a kid, you rebel against that. Yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of that drove work ethic. And was there a lot of outdoors going on growing up to hunting and fishing? Yeah. Um, you know, my dad was a big time elk hunter, um, loved elk hunting. And I grew up <clears throat> on like 40 acres and a river and ponds. And so we, we fished every day after school, you know, we hunted, like we were obsessed with it. Um, we could do it out our backyard, which, you know, it's crazy. I look at the life I had, you know, and I like, I, I want my kid to have the same, but it's like, man, it's almost impossible now, so you know, like. I had my choice of like six bass ponds to go to. And like, we just like, me and the neighborhoods ride our four wheelers to each other's house. We had three motocross tracks that we could ride to. And, you know, it's like, we had the sky's the limit. Yeah. Uh, and a river, you know, we'd, we'd run the river and just like walk it for miles and, you know, picking crowd ads and stuff like that. Things uh, are different. <laughs> dude. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of my childhood was the outdoors and like, yeah, you know, it's funny. I always, uh, so I, I grew up on a farm and, and, uh, we always would be early up early on Saturday and get out of the house because if we were out of there before we got put to work, then we could not come back for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. We'd be in trouble, but like, you perfect. know, we were out running the river, you know, all day if we could. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Let's zoom in on the day of the accident. So how old were you? What was going on the day this all went down? Yeah. There's a little bit of backstory before that, and I think it's applicable to the accident. So on the day of the accident, I was 23 years old. Um, I was probably one of the best shape of my life. And the reason I was is that, like, I went through high school and played sports, but I didn't really understand what it meant to p compete at a professional level. I raced growing up, but again, like local races and stuff. And then, so when I was probably 19 or 20, I started racing like on the national level, like in the work series and things. So it was an outdoor and kind of an endurance race, if you will. And that was my eye opening to like what it takes to compete at a professional level. And I'll never forget like the first day that aha moment, 
and I was in Pitt, Idaho and just like, you know, I'm racing and I was a pretty good racer, but like this pro dude went by me on a whole nother level. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and it just clicked for me. And that's when I started taking training very seriously. And like, you know, you work out in high school, but like, you're not really training. Right. And so I started training like I wanted to be a professional racer. And so I was, you know, riding every single day, an hour a day. I was running five miles a day. You know, I was, I was super in shape and I was traveling a lot for work, but I was in probably the best shape of my life cardio wise. <clears throat> and then fast forward and actually mid race season. And, um, I was in Nevada working and I came, I came home to Oregon and, um, and we got, we got there like two in the afternoon and, we went to this pond. I'm actually good friends with the owner now. I didn't know who it was at the time. And, you know, we show up to this pond. A bunch of my friends were there. Um, my wife at the time was there. And there was a floating dock. And so it's like, I don't know, your average rural pond, right? Yeah. And this floating dock was out there. Well, the so the backstory to this is that the floating pond was actually had, you know, five or four five-gallon buckets of concrete they were like, had it out in the middle, right? Holding it down. Holding it down. And I don't know, like this seems counterintuitive, but concrete can actually be enough buoyancy, buoyant enough that it bounces around. And so I don't know if it had an air pocket in or something, but essentially one of these buckets had come off and made its way around to right in front of the, the dock that like went out. And, you know, cliche, they tell you growing up, like never dive into water you don't know. I was super confident. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always the kid that like jumped off everything, like didn't even think back about flipped it. everything. You know, I was like soup. Yeah. Didn't even think about it. I can shallow dive and swim out there. And I ran off the dock and I just went to dive and I hit the water and man, it was like snap. I, I knew it when it hit instantly. And uh, I knew it was bad. I heard something break mm -hmm. and it was, I remember being like eyes closed and that, that point where you're about to black out, like you hit your head so hard, you're like, Oh, don't black out. Don't black out. Like seeing stars. And I like kind of come to, and I realize I'm face down in the water. <clears throat> and I remember like hearing something break, but it was like, okay, get your, you know, get your head above water, get your head above water, but I can't move. So I'm just like blacked out in mm -hmm. the water, like just barely like come to, and I'm like, okay, you're face down. So get your head above water, get your head above water, but I can't move at all. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I remember like the thought of like, I need to take a breath. And I was like, okay, you can hold your breath a lot longer than you think. You know, I just was telling myself, I mean, like you hear this all the time. Like it's, it's mostly psychological. And so I'm like in the water having this talk with myself of like, don't breathe, don't breathe, don't breathe. Like face I, down, face down. And I remember like my head bobbed above water and I took a big breath and I went back under, and again, it was like, don't, like, I was like, I got to breathe. I got to breathe. And it was just like this, you know, angel and a devil on your shoulder, like, you don't have to breathe. And you have to breathe. You don't have to breathe. <laughs> and like, I finally, I come back up again, and my buddy, Sam, um, my brother-in-law, one of my closest friends, he grabs me, and I'll never forget, like, I knew it was bad because I could see the bottom of my foot. And I was like... I don't know if you ever like broken mm. an ankle or something and you 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 look and you're like, that's not right. Yeah. I'm looking angle. at the bottom of my foot and I'm like, that's not good. Oh. And, uh, I knew it was bad and I had, um, so at the time I was, you know, had went to school to be a firefighter. I was EMT basic and, um, my buddy Sam grabs me and he's like, bring me back. I was like, it's bad, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, it's not good. And I just like, there's blood everywhere. And, um, Sam had just gotten back from Iraq and one of my best friends. And we actually just spent a week together. And I'm like, 
telling him, I'm like, he's like trying to put me on the dock. And I'm like, no, you got to just float me. You just got to float me. And he's like, he's blacked out. Like I can see in his eyes, he's not there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Sam, Sam. Like he just like, yeah, went into, you know, mode. And he's trying to like put me on the dock. And I'm like yelling at him, yelling at him, like just float me, damn it. And then finally it kind of comes to, and like, he's like floating me in the water and like other people get there. And I'll never forget, like, I was like, are my elbows bleeding? Are my elbows bleeding? And I was like, dude, it hurts so fucking bad. It was like my elbows and the nerve damage. Like it felt like I wrecked a motorcycle on pavement and just slid on my elbows for a mile. It was like fire. And I was like, get my arms out of the water. Get my arms out of the water. And I was, they were like, dude, it, you're not in the water. Like their arms aren't in the water. I was like, oh God. Like, and that was like the that most nerve, pain, nerve damage. Oh. It was, yeah. It just felt like road rash oh. completely. And, uh, yeah. So they float me, float me there and, uh, life flight lands. They call life flight. <laughs> Ironically, like I, I, my mom likes to say I have, have a frequent flyer card to the ER growing up. <laughs> My poor mom. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like, don't, like I, I told her, I'm like, don't tell mom until we know what's going on. Like, just don't tell my mom. Because <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, she's been down this road before. So of course they're getting in life flight. Like first thing they do is call my mom. And, um, and I was, so I was 23 and I get in life flight and I'll never forget, like I was in life flight and I'm like, I was like, just running through this mental, there's so much going on. Right. But my pinky moved and I was like, oh, thank Jesus. Like, oh mm-hmm. my God. And I just remember my pinky moved and then it was like lights out. It was like right before they, you know, they blacked me out or yeah, whatever. And they I just put like, you out. Yeah. And I just like my pinky moved and I like, poof, when I was out. How fast did that chopper get there? <laughs> 10 minutes or something? I have no idea. Like, yeah. honestly, that's a yeah. good question. Um, I sat in the water for a long time. You know, they floated me. Um, mm. Paramedics got there, <clears throat> local fire department, you know, and, and they, you know, kept me in the water. They held C-spine. So they're just holding my neck, right? And, you know. Dude, it's it's a blur, honestly. Yeah. But then life flight gets there, and yeah. Where'd they take you? To OHSU. So they flew me directly to OHSU, <clears throat> and it's chaos. Like when you go through this, it's absolute chaos. And so I'm in the hospital, and I'm waiting to go into surgery. Um, I, I think, and so there's like a lot of stuff going on, and there's different docs coming in and out. And I just remember, like, I was like asking everyone, like, "Hey, what's what's going on?" Like, no one knows. You're like. Am I going to walk again? Like what's, what's up? And this doc came in and I'll never forget because the nurse was sitting there and I have no family in the room. It's just this nurse. It was a very dark room. I don't even remember where it was, but this doc comes in and it, he, I'm like, Hey, wh- you know, what's, what's my odds? What's my, he goes, well, you're never going to walk again, but you know, we're going to do the best we can. And like the nurse starts bawling. And I was like, my first thought was like, man, that seems unprofessional. And then my second thought was like, he's wrong. Like 100%. It's scary as hell to believe to look back at now. But like at the time, like I 100% without conviction was like, you're wrong. Like, right away. Yeah. And it was like, I remember looking at the nurse and being like, no, he's wrong. Like, and like to this day, like, I don't know why I had such belief in that, but I like, I remember he was like, you could tell he was straining to tell me this. Mm-hmm. And then this nurse starts crying and I'm just like, yeah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> What were all the injuries that happened? So I dove in, I hit the top of my head. Um, they thought I cracked my skull, but it was just a pretty gnarly gash on top. And then I shattered my C6 into six different pieces, like just grenaded. So basically broke everything off. Um, and so um, as later they go into surgery, we go into surgery. They ended up putting, a, it was a nine hour surgery. They do a cadaver bone. Um, 
a cadaver bone and then like some some hardware. I call it my Leatherman. <laughs> I'll show you pictures <laughs> after, dude. It looks like someone left a Leatherman. Like it is like <laughs> in uh, your in neck, the, in my neck. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, like again, it's chaos, and maybe it's all luck. You know, I hate. I hate. At that time, when I was twenty three, I was like, I had so much confidence, maybe arrogance. It was like, yeah, like anyone who's paralyzed just doesn't try hard enough. And it was like, that's such a dick thing to say. And like, mm-hmm. there's just so many variables there. Lots of variables. And I'll admit that it's not probably 99% luck, but like that confidence mindset, call it what you will. Like I was just like, no, I'll prove you wrong. And another big piece of it, a huge piece of it. Ironically, we, Sam and I just got back. We were working on this property in Nevada um, we were running this schoolhouse for some military project. And, um, on the way home, we read the talent code and the talent code was this book about why some athletes are great and some aren't. And it talks about the myelin and wrapping the myelin and, and basically creating, you know, this, um, ner- like wrapping the nervous system to, to, to muscle memory. Right. And so I had just read that book and I was like bound in my head that this book could solve this problem in that, here I am laying in my bed, like my leg is a chunk of dead meat, mm-hmm. but I will run through my head a million times over how to move it until it works. And, you know, I read the Myelin code or the, the talent code and it, it rang true because in racing, like I would run through a step or a corner or a something a hundred times to every t- one time I did it physically. And I thought that was like, you know, so in my head for eight hours a day, I could visualize, you know, clutch break, like corner inside, like, you know, I visualize it over and over and over and over and over and over. And then I would hit the track for an hour. And like that, to me, I was like, that was 100% true. And I took that to my accident and said, like, I will figure this out. And so, I mean, you you have a little bit extra time when you're paralyzed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like laying in this bed and I guess we should back up and say, when I got out of surgery, um, I, actually that before I even went into surgery, I think like my arm, my hands came back. Now it was interesting because, um, I couldn't, I couldn't pick up this bottle if it was empty. Like you could li- like I could move and I would like squeeze as hard as I can, like crush your finger, but it like wouldn't couldn't be grab enough. It. Yeah. Like it, it was just the craziest thing because you would, crush this pop can or whatever. Like, no, you, you'd think you were crushing it and like, you couldn't even pick up the weight of it, of an empty pop can. So arms are starting to work. So arms are starting to work. But um, whole left leg is gone. Whole right legs. Right gone. Leg. Actually at that time, both legs were gone. So both legs were gone. Um, and it was probably a week before the left leg started doing anything. Um, and then the right leg was just, it was dead weight. Yeah. And it was like, but you know, like, maybe it's graduating like, Oh man, I got my hands back. Like it's coming, it's going to happen. And there's that confidence. Right. And then like a week later, like the left leg, you can kind of move, like not really, but that right leg was like, I was convinced, like I was, there was a time where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. Just you know, nothing happening. Nothing. It's just dead. Like I remember, um, so you, I laid in bed a lot and you, like throughout the day. So I was at Rio, which is the rehabilitation Institute of Oregon. I would lay there and, you know, like you have workouts throughout the day and stuff, but at, you know, most of the time you're just laying there and I was mentally just trying to figure it out. And it was like, I could tell my toes to wiggle. And like, I knew what I was saying to my feet. That mm-hmm. sounds weird, but like, but damn, it was just like nothing there. It was just not registering, you know? And it was the craziest thing. And one time, uh, 
it was the middle of the night and my leg fell off the bed. And this sounds so silly, but I, dude, I couldn't pick up a pop can. Yeah. Like trying to get my leg back on the bed, I probably spent two hours. And I could have called someone, but that goes back to mindset. I could have easily tapped in, but I was like bound and determined. I'll figure like, this out. I'll figure out how to get my leg up there. Crazy. Right? Yeah. And simple things like you'd get cards, like get well cards or whatever. And it would take me an hour to put a card like on this board right here. But like, I was like, what else I got to do? There's nothing else to do. How long were you <laughs> in the rehab center? Uh, about a month, a little, actually a little over a month. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so you're just there and you're trying to like, again, you know, you get there. It's, it's a wicked place. Um, there's, so the day it happened, there was a dude in the room next to me. I don't know how, how often this happens or not, but the dude next to me, same exact injury, same thing. And I remember being in the ER, this is like ER, you know, not name rehab. He's like cussing everyone out. He's just pissed at the world, like throwing shit at nurses. Like he's going mm -hmm. on. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's like, we have to solve this problem. Like being mad doesn't help me. I just have to figure it out. And like, those are the two reactions. You know, you can get mad at the world and, and cuss everyone, or you can like figure out how to way to solve it. Negative versus positive. And I went through this whole thing with him. You know, and I don't know his name. He doesn't know who I even exists, but he's on the circuit today. And he, like, I, last I heard, you know, he talks to people about this and whatnot. And I was like, nothing against him. I just always found it interesting that like his behavior and his like mentality to it was, you know, like he just accepted that, you know, like he didn't, he went through this phase of anger and then he just like gave up and I watched him in rehab, just give up. And then now he's trying to help, you know, he'd. Yeah, everyone has recovered. their own journey. Just no. not walking again? No. Wild. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was the guy in, in, in rehab. Like, I don't remember. There was probably a dozen people there that were in a version of where I was. Like, obviously, at different, pace, different phases. Mm -hmm. But I was like, this is a training center. Like, this is the new training center. And we got eight hours, 10, 12 hours a day. And this is what we do. Like, congratulations. Like, gym yeah, time. It's gym time. This is what we do. And no one there. It was like the most depressing place I'd ever been in my entire life. And I, for good reason, like nothing against people. It's really hard. And most of them are probably not going to get better. But man, it was the hardest thing was like overcoming your surroundings. Like it's one thing if I, if you were surrounded by positive people, motivated to get crush it, you're going to crush it. But for me, the hardest thing in the world was like, I'm surrounded by people who are just on there. Like you're coping, dude. Like they just weren't even trying. Like, and it was mm. like, no. And even, you know, nothing against the people that work there. Like I, I get it. I understand. But at the same time, they're just trying to like get you through, you know, coping. And I'm like, no, we train, <laughs> we train now and we train tomorrow. Yeah. We train every day. And like, I remember, uh, this, this one lady, she's like telling my wife at the time, she's like, okay, you can't, you know, he's going to do this and he's going to want you to get things for him. And you're going to, I'm like, you don't know me. Like, I like, no refuse. And so like a lot of that was the mindset, you know, and just like going into it, I was like, I believed I was going to get better. And I've talked to a few buddies over the years that, you know, I've had traumatic incidents and I was like, I don't know how, but you have to 1000% believe you have to be pot committed like it's your everything that you will get better no matter what. Like you can't let a single doubt in your mind and maybe it will work or maybe it won't. The results kind of going to end up the same. Right. So you might as well just believe 100%. Go for it. Right. It's wild. You had that mindset at 23. False confidence. It's wild. <laughs> 23 year olds have a lot of false confidence. 
<laughs> and to stay positive through all of that yeah. is pretty amazing. I mean, there's downtime. So like, I don't want to like make it rosy, dude. There's dark, dark times. Like the darkest time I ever went through was, it was actually fairly easy <clears throat> when you're there. You're, this is what you do. You have a job. You know, it's like anyone who's worked out of town is like, okay, I'm here to work and that's what I do. I felt the same way about rehab, but when you get home, all of a sudden, everything you can't do, like mow the yard, mm -hmm. like work on stuff, everything's a disaster. You've been gone for a month and a half and you're just like, oh, you can't do anything. You know, was, I was like, that's the hardest part. Was your right leg still completely <clears throat> numb and out of commission when you went home? Yeah. So yeah. then it's, now it's recovery it's on your good. own. It's on you. No help. And there's like, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say it on you. Like you have physical therapists. Like I was out of the basically full-time care and into like seeing a therapist three days a week and a physical therapist three days a week going through those processes and things like that. So are you in a wheelchair now? Yeah, that's a wheelchair, yeah. And you're just getting rides into PT a couple days a week? Yeah. And are you training at home? Yeah, yeah, doing whatever I can. Like it's just like your full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, funny story though. So I was there, I don't know, the dates were probably 20-some days. And uh, I got my first, like, get-out-of-jail-free card, right? You, like, you get to go and do something, right? And uh, and you're supposed to not, like, it's, it's in Portland, Oregon, and you're not supposed to be, like, more than 30 minutes away. So I my team, so I was, like, racing, and we had a team, and and they were racing. The, the work series was in Stradaline, Washington, like, six and a half hours away. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, like, of course, we break out that day, and my wife drives me six and a half hours to the race. To and, watch them. To watch. And, like, I roll in, which was, like, it was it was a good and bad. It was, um, it was an interesting point in everything, in my recovery as well. So much of my identity was, like, I'm a motocross guy. Like, this is what I do. And like you ro roll into the races and like I rolled up mid pro race. And so like I get like they push me out to the pits and <laughs> I forget like there's a picture of me holding one of the pit boards and it's like I could ride faster. And like, you know, my buddy's like, and it was super, super cool. Cause like, you know, it was a, it was a big time. Like, you know, someone to go down and be paralyzed. Um, but it was also like a turning point in my identity of like, you know, I had to reset my identity so much at that moment. I was like, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to be everything. Like all of a sudden I was forced to change my identity from being like this, this motocrosser and, or this elk hunter or whatever you want to call it. Like mm -hmm. I was, that's who I was, but like this thing changed it from this day forward. Yeah. Probably hard being at that race at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was inspiring. And I think there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, you know, you'll never race again. Like all these things and never walk again. But it was like, I always said like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll just play by ear. What did you work on to like call and name your new identity? <clears throat> it's interesting. I think I just deleted the concept of identity. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you grow up, you have a lot of like your identities are the things you do and you know, they kind of define you. And you know, from that point on, it just like, I didn't need that anymore. It was like, okay, I, I had realized that like, you know, these are all the things I do, but my identity, like, I don't really have, I don't say I have an identity because I don't ever want to get strapped to an identity again. Like, you know, I'm not football player. I'm not a football player. I'm not, Connor, yeah, I'm not all these things. Like they're things I do. They can come and go. Right. They can come and go. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're at home. When did you feel the first feeling back in that right leg? <laughs> We were, um, 
<clears throat> so uh, at the time, well, I still have it. I have a cabin um, in the woods, and the first thing I wanted to do was like, I'm out. Like society, I'm peace. You know, I just <laughs> spent a month and a half in Portland, and like I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm going. And it was elk season, <clears throat> so my accident was August first. And I get out, it's like September 10th or 12th or something. And um, so I'm like, I'm going to the cabin. And I had a couple of buddies with elk tags. I didn't, I mean, obviously I couldn't even pick up a bow, let alone pull one. But I was like, I'm going, going to elk camp. And so uh, I went up to my cabin and I spent another month at the cabin, like <laughs> just kind of being camp cook and stuff, you know, yep. and like doing that stuff. But we were on our way there and my one of my right toes wiggled. And I was like, I didn't do it. It was just like, it did it. And I was like, ha, game on, you wow. know, <laughs> like, it's so, like, and I couldn't do it again. I couldn't repeat it. And I was like, game on. Like, just it's a little there. wiggle. Yeah. And, and, uh, dude, ironically, it was funny that season, uh, we had crutches. So left leg was working by that point. It was still super weak. And I'm sure doctors are like shaking their heads, but dude, we were chasing elk and I'm like, I'm holding on to my buddy's pack and like, we're just bombing through the woods and like, there's probably a lot of recovery and like just being in the woods at the cabin doing those things. It was a good, like, yeah, it's a good like reset for me. Yeah. And so that was, but that, you know, through that was the first like, okay, inkling. And then it was like tons of physical therapy and, um, that's about, so we get back, it's probably October and I could, I figured out I could run, but I couldn't walk. And a lot of that was probably bow season, like trying to run around. Like we we're just like getting over logs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, bad idea. Like, I mean, I could have fell and like just ended everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, by that point I was out of the wheelchair. I was kind of on crutches cause I had one leg. Um, and so like I basically figured out I could run and I was like, okay, I can hobble kind of. And I was like, I'm just going to force this. And another, we had like talked a little bit about the downside to, to forcing those things. So what happened when I rewired, I always call it rewiring. So I'm going to look at his mechanical terms and say like, basically my wiring harness got burned up and, um, I put it back together like a, like a 17 year old where, you know, you hit the bright switch and the, 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 the wipers come on. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so it was a little bit of that. So still to this day, I think I haven't tested this in a long time, but my glute and my psoas actually fired backwards. So when I would walk, you know, I forget what it is. You might know, but it's like, it's glute, psoas, push, pull essentially. Yeah. And I started using them backwards. And so that's why I would get fatigued really quickly. Obviously the muscles aren't designed to do that. Yeah. So like it was glute, psoas, and whatever. So it's backwards. So I rewired it backwards, but I just pushed through it. And I, and I'd rather walk and do it wrong. Than yeah. Not walk, at least you know? you're walking. Right. And so I got to this point where I was like, I felt good. I was like running and then, you know, I was pushing myself. I was like, oh, I'll beat this thing. And I, then I started losing, um, my sense. I was just getting this weird numb feeling all through my left side. Nerve damage. Nerve, like it was the pressure in my spinal cord. I was building it up too much. And so they're like, yeah, you got to tone it down, like, or else we're going to have to put a, go back in and put a stent in your spinal cord because you got to relieve Drain the pressure. It. Yeah. And so um, it got up to my armpit and then re- kind of recited back down to my hip where, you know, my left leg was no pain or temperature, which was like whatever. Um, and so we met through whatever. I don't want to say the doctor's name, but like met the stock and he's got this electroshock therapy. It's like this new thing. It was in Arizona and like they're like doing all this fancy nerve work, right? And so I'm like, cool. So this is January. Accident happened in August. By December, I'm running. I can run a mile at this point. I'm like, hell yeah. I can't 
feel water or pain. I could stab myself with a knife, but I, you know, I'm running. Mm-hmm. And I go into this like electrotherapy experiment and they hit it once. And essentially what it is is like they strap a dog collar to your head and the back of your, your, your leg, right? To these muscles. And the idea is that, you know, imagine a freeway and if the freeway broke, you know, essentially you could take this off ramp and come back onto the freeway. That's how it was explained to me anyway. Maybe there's someone who knows more, but they hit the shock and I couldn't hardly walk again. I was like, yeah. (laughs) So I go back and they're like, no, you have to go backwards to go forwards. And I was like, and I did this three or four times and I like, I I couldn't run anymore. I could like, dude, I was struggling. I was like, no, and like the whole time they're super into this, like pain and temperature. I'm like, who cares? Like, yeah, I just want to move. I'd, yeah. I'd rather walk than feel pain. And so I was just like, no, we done. Like this is all, I'll do it the hard way. Um, and so then it took another three or four months to get back to where I was in December. And so maybe that technology has come. I'm sure it has. Like, yeah. There's a lot of those things that have right. advanced. And right. But it felt wild. a lot like here was this kid who figured out how to walk again and my new thing, I could bolt onto that. Yeah. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially with it causing negative impacts. Yo, yeah. Dude, it was a light switch that it was like, oh, I could, I could walk bare. Like I, it was just like, you, it was a noticeable difference between when I went in that office and when I came out and I was like, great. It, it may be good. <laughs> but I'm not a test dummy. <laughs> Man. Well, I even remember when you were in the lab testing preseason prep, the first program, The that was like 17, 2016, 2017. And I remember, I remember your gluten psoas firing backwards. Mm-hmm. And I remember every now and then like your whole leg just shutting off on you. <laughs> yeah. you just, you'd be like in the middle of a lunge and just going down. Yeah. <laughs> Where you do like 10 perfect lunges and then all of a sudden yeah. it was like off switch. Down. Yeah. And it's still that way. There's still like <clears throat> residual problems. I'm like, I'm not perfect by any yeah. stretch. Anyone who's hunted with me or you'll see it, like people ask me like, oh, why are you limping? And like old injury, <laughs> you know, like it's classic. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you know, cause I still even walking, if, if I do a bunch of exercises or something, um, I can really limp and you'll see it. And that's a lot of that's just the way the muscles are firing. You're like, I'm compensating. So if I'm not thinking about it, like I'll just be limping. <clears throat> Ironically, like I walk around the mountains for as many miles as I want. Um, mm-hmm. My wife thinks it's a conspiracy, but like <laughs> if you if you put me in that like shopping stroll on pavement, I'll be done. Like 20 minutes tops. All that pavement. Yeah. yeah my wife was like, hey, sick. she's like, oh, you can hike 20 miles in the mountains, but like you, you can't, can't go shop. downtown for 20 minutes. Dude. Can't go to Target. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. and I do. I think it's something with that like slow stroll on concrete. Like, oh, my leg will just be dead, and then, like it'll feel like just a chunk of meat attached to my bone. It's the well, weirdest thing. What's going on with pain and temperature nowadays? Well, I, I just told you like um, today. I was talking about it. I, I think it's back. Like, um, it's it's been something that comes and goes, and that's typical nerve damage. But here we are. Jeez, what is it? So. 13, 14 years later. And like, I just now, like, I'm like, I can feel like I hit something. And I was like, ow. I was like, oh, wait, ow, what? Yeah. You know, I was like, it's like, oh, that has never happened before. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like this weird, like, I think it comes and goes. But as of right now, like, I think it's fairly back. That's I should probably go do a test and see, like, how my muscles are firing on the right leg. Yeah. 
Yeah, some nerve tests would be cool. Yeah. Or like reaction time tests. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see if it's all back. But you know, nerve damage is a crazy thing. And you know, anybody listening to this has been or has an an accident or whatever. Like you just they told me you don't know like nothing's for sure until a year. And that's like nerve damage can take a year. Man, I don't even buy that. Like it could be two, three years. And yeah. like all of a sudden like stuff comes back, you know. And I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, developments in technology and all those things. And so, you know, along with a positive mindset, I think anyone who's like in that situation, a positive mindset has never hurt anyone. But I also think that like, you just don't know, like it could be two years later and you work on something for two years, which sounds insane, but you work on it for two years and all of a sudden like it starts to come back. Like it's just a crazy, nerves are so crazy. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever ran into some of those original docs or nurses? <laughs> no. That would be wild to see those guys. It's funny. Um, my wife, so when it happened, I go through surgery. The surgeon was awesome. <clears throat> and I talked to him, you know, like the week after or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, you probably have to come back in like 10 years to get it redone. Well, 10 years comes up and I'm like, ah. Uh, I don't feel any different. So I'm not going to like, I, I became very like anti-doc, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> not right or wrong. And my wife, you know, works in the hospital. Her dad's a doc. And so like, they were very much like, you need to go see something. You need I'm like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, <laughs> you know? And so we just went back last year and thankfully I got a doc who was like, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just so, leave it. Yeah. Leave <laughs> but the it always makes you alone. nervous, man. Like, it's like, okay, it's just coming back up again. I know, and it'd be nerve-wracking to have them cut Redone. back into your neck again. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, the cadaver, it's a full cadaver bone, so it's all the way around. So I don't know what they got to redo. <laughs> oh. So looking back on it now, do you attribute the majority of your recovery to mindset? I would say yes. It's hard for me to not discount luck, at, you know, knowing what I know now. And, like, I don't want to... I don't want to sit here and say like, it's, you know, it's all mindset, but I would say, I would probably say the majority is mindset. I think being 23 helped like, if it happened to me now at 36, you know, like it would be a totally different story. I'm sure being in <clears throat> amazing shape helped, you know, like I was at peak performance and then mm-hmm. it was never a bad thing, yeah. but you know, it's a, it's a combination of all of those. And one of my buddies said, if I ate blue M&Ms, it would help too. So I, I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to think now that if you would have went through that same experience negatively in thinking there's no chance that would lead to a lot less training, a lot less Mm -hmm. PT sessions, which would make the chance of luck showing its face much more difficult. hundred percent. Yeah. Because the more you would rely on that, on the wheelchair, Mm -hmm. your leg's going to atrophy. So that mindset is, is a game changer. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, I think the power of your mindset, you know, this Wim Hof thing and like just believing it is super powerful. And I think that a big reason, like call it, you know, voodoo magic, but me laying in bed for five hours a night, envisioning my toe moving and like going through that exercise probably did more than throwing my leg up a dead, you know, up a treadmill and, and having it come back. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I <clears throat> believe that mental exercise really helped. Like I was trying to do it. I was trying like just constantly. And I was like, if I just, if I just think about this, if I just in, in my head, 
try to move it a million times, eventually it'll work. Like I do every, every moment I was just like, I gotta, you know, do them. So even if like, even on, let's say a torn ACL, I do believe that going through the mental exercise of like, there's power in like mentally moving your, your limbs. Right. And being like, okay, here's, this is the action. This is the action verse, you know, just saying like, okay, I just got to wait another year and it'll be better. You know, like doing what you can. And, and like, you've seen this too. Like if I was paralyzed, I was on the, the bike, like I was doing the upper exercise, like I, an hour a day. Like I was like, I'm going to train this side because sure. it's going to help that. And I don't have the science to prove that, but like a hundred percent, I'd be on the, you know, the hand bike and just like in my wheelchair, like I'm going to get after it. That's a big thing we've seen here is that someone will have like a left calf injury and take some time off training versus someone who has a left calf injury and trains every other muscle group. Mm. And that person that's training every other muscle group by letting that injury rest is so far ahead. And I think a lot of that is mentally. Mm. They're, they're keeping their routine. They're still training at the same time every day, even though they're resting that injured part of their keeping body. keeping that habit. Yeah. The rest of their body is not going into atrophy. And then the mental benefits of just like they're pushing, they're doing a hard thing every day. They get that endorphin rush after totally. workout. It's totally. like they, they're just adapting, overcoming, training around that injury. It's a game changer for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, we were just talking about this. Like um, during season, I I'm tore something on the bottom of my foot. And so like usually I run all winter. And so I've been just like, I got to do the bike. You know, like I got to let it heal, but how can I let it heal? You know, just jump on the bike. Like just, I have no excuse not to like work out. It's just mm-hmm. I need to be doing something different. You know, obviously I can't run. Got you know, like whatever I got going on, I got to let heal, but riding a bike's in the low impact. Right. Yeah. And you can do that. Adapt. Yeah. So what is your, what does your fitness journey look like now? And what is your view on fitness now after going through that? <laughs> it was interesting. Um, you know, if we go all the way back, it was like when I decided to take this like pro athlete approach, it was like, I was like all fitness, like train, 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 train. And, um, you know, there's a mentality in racing that's like race day should be your easiest day. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, you know, and you do an endurance sport, you need to be like, that's your day off essentially. And that was very much, even after my injury, I was very much in like train, train, train. And then, you know, it was into lifting and, and I was like, just get jacked or whatever. And I actually went to this spot in that journey. And it was probably about the time we met, honestly, when I was like, this is like building a sandcastle. Like I had got jacked or whatever. And then I got to this point where I'm like, God, if I stop for a week, it feels like it's just gone. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's no point. So like, you know, classic, uh, you're married, you got kids. You're like, it's hard to like stay motivated to be, want to be jacked, especially when you view the world, view fitness as a sandcastle. And it was like, for me, it was like, I just went through this phase of like, you know, whatever I had, you know, let's just say in my early twenties, the mission was trained for racing late twenties. It was trained for hunting, you know, thirties. I figured out that like, I can pretty much last any, like I have an, a long season and I can make it like my mental toughness is like, I've developed my mental toughness enough that it'll outperform my fitness anyway. Mm-hmm. And so like, I wasn't in a hurry and it all felt like a sandcastle. And then I was like, in the last, I would say in the last year, you know, I, maybe I'm getting old, maybe it's a midlife crisis, but I view fitness as like 
I want to be able to go elk hunting when I'm 70. Longevity. Longevity, 100%. Yeah. And I realized, and it's like, when you're 28, when you're 32, like you can stop working for an entire, or stop working out for the winter and be fine. You know, I could like 60 days before season, like let's grind, you know, let's pump it back. The older you get, the harder that gets, oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. you know, getting out of shape is just not worth it. A and so it's coaster. like, you know, as I, you know, as the, hopefully I guess my kids are still super young, but like as the kids get a little bit older, it's like I view fitness as like longevity performance. Like I'm really into stretching, you know, like Lifestyle. I would have made fun of myself for like stretching. Right. And like, mm -hmm. now it's like, you know, I want to be able to do the things I love for the longest time I can. And so like, I look at fitness as like this journey of like, you know, in the early days, you're just trying to get Jackson and get girls. <laughs> and yeah. then like, you kind of go through this phase of like, oh, it doesn't matter. And then you look at it as like, there's a longevity approach. And I do, if you don't use it, you lose it, you know, and it just gets harder. And so you realize as you get older is that the routine and the habit are the most important thing that you don't want to give up the routine and the habit. Like even if you do a little bit every day, like that's far more important than not doing anything and be able to cram for the test. Like, you know, when you're in your twenties, you can cram for the test. You can like mm -hmm. get ready before season feels you get the harder that is, you know? And like, to me, it's like, okay, I realized that if you want to be successful, if I want to be a successful elk hunter in my seventies, it's going to require like basically just staying consistent until then. <laughs> I love seeing that too. When you see a guy just crushing at like 58, 68, like up on the ridge, yeah. that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And that's, I do. I mean, maybe it's a Bozeman thing. Cause like this place is freaking <laughs> full of like 75. I'm like, I'm doing a lap or a baldy lap and like yeah. some 70 year olds passing me. I'm like, dude, it's I nuts here. <laughs> it is nuts here. Yeah. What about going through that whole journey? Have you thought about the approach you'll take with your kids and your family? Now you had the coach that pushed really hard. You had the dad that didn't push quite as hard because he'd been pushed hard. Yeah. And then going through that recovery process, what angle do you think you'll take with your kids? <laughs> that's a, that's a really good question. And, um, I don't, I don't know yet. Like, I don't know where I'll be. My, my philosophy as a parent is my job is to help them get through the hard things, not to hide them from it. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the super crappy things that have happened in my life made me who I am, you know? And so I hope to help them manage those situations and not avoid them. Having said that, I would never wish, you know, a child to be paralyzed or anything like that. Like, obviously like there's, there's a line there. It's, but at the same time, like, even though I like kind of the rowdy child who did crazy things and ended up almost like too far, I don't feel like it's good to keep my kids from that. You know, my kids, you know, he's going to be a little bit like, he's a mini me, like, great, here I go. <laughs> and it's like, you know, my wife is very risk averse. And, and so like, I, I like, I let him do dangerous things safely. You know, I try not to be like, you know, like let them do whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, here's how you could do dangerous things safely. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, there's a line to it. Like, don't push it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably didn't have that. Like I was always just trying to push the limits to impress people, you know, and I hung out with a bunch of kids that were older than me. So I was always like the wild one. Um, you know, who you grow up with has a big impact on you know, how you turn out. And so like, I try to surround my kids with, you know, people who are going to curate him, right? Like 
I'm one piece of that puzzle, but I can't be the only piece. Like you're not the average of the one person you hang around. You're the average of the seven people you hang around. So like I try to like help my kids like navigate that path, but what, what do they want to do? Like, um, my, my wife is, you know, she's skier, mountain biker, those type of things. And so she like wants her kids to do those things. I don't even have a huge desire to push my kid to do motorsports, but I just kind of know it's coming. Yeah. But it's like, you know, whatever they want to do, like I want them to spend their first, let's say between 12 and 25 pushing the limits, right? Like you need to like see what you're made of. That's how you develop that mental toughness is by pushing outside of your comfort zone, right? Like being the best, like I want you to be well-rounded that can come later. Like you can like push and understand what it takes to operate at a high level because once you come back down off that, then you have the ability to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're well-rounded and ready for any passion you might want to pursue in your life with like the, the mindset to tackle any obstacle. And, you know, even did this, like this past weekend, like this kind of extreme, I don't know if you're supposed to do this, but whatever, maybe I'm a bad parent. I took my kid snowmobiling. It was, you know, 15 degrees blowing sideways. And like, we had a couple meltdowns you know? <laughs> like, and he's riding. It's dude, it, was, it was gnarly and cold and white out, you know? And, and, um, you know, I know that my job is to balance that line between pushing them and helping them get through it, but also keeping them like in a safe and like, I don't want to push it. So it's not fun. So like, here's a, you know, my kid's three and we go out and he's like, you know, a little bit of a meltdown, like just, he's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what's going on. Right. And so like we build a fire and like, that was kind of the day. It was like, we'd go a little ways and build a fire yeah and like, he wanted to go home and all this. I'm like, I understand buddy. Like, I I know you're like, you know, why, what's, what's scaring you right now? Like what makes you nervous? Like, and so like, we just had to come back to like, here's, here's what feels comfortable to him. And like, let's find that comfort spot. And so, but you have to push it, right? Like it's good for him to go out at three and push his limits a little bit. It's scary and it's hard and he worked through it. And then we come back and you know, it's like this like testing, testing yeah. versus like, okay, buddy, you're scared. Like you're cold and I get it. Like, let's go home. Like he Can't may never bail. want to push it again, but like for him to push it and succeed and get back. And then like, I, I, we kind of like debriefed on it. Like we back, I was like, man, that was super fun. Like, wasn't that scary? Like, yeah, but you work through it, you know? And he's like, yeah. And then he's like, ready <laughs> to go again, you know? It's awesome. And so it's like, you gotta like, you gotta put them in those hard situations to help them see what they're made of. <laughs> again, maybe people are like, he's three, <laughs> but like, and then work backwards. And then, you know, like, I don't know, maybe the tough love thing works. Like just put them in a hard situation, let's figure it out. But like for the most part, my theory is that he's not necessarily scared because he's cold or because whatever, like it's just super unknown, right? Like we're all scared of this like unknown piece of the aspect, which is like, yeah, it's cold, which amplifies the little bit scary part, but it's like, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know this is normal. Like he like whatever. And so like, mm-hmm. just like, Hey, it's okay, buddy. This is normal. And then being able to like build a fire and like, he's super into fires, a little pyro. But he's like, you know, this is like his like, okay, I like it. Let's build a campfire, buddy. Let's build a campfire, you know. That's awesome. (laughs) Our skydiving hangar here in town has a big flag that says safety second. (laughs) And I saw it. I was like, man, I love that flag. Like, it shouldn't be safety first. It's like take risk first and then safety second. But Mm. then I was like, but it really shouldn't be hanging in the skydiving (laughs) Like maybe somewhere else. Right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Just a sticker is like safety third. But like that was kind of a motto. Like, yep, safety yeah. third. And like, I think there's good in that. Like, obviously I pushed the limits and like almost didn't come back from it. But I also realized that like so much of my ability to cope with chaos, like I, 
I thrive in chaos today because like I've experienced a bunch of chaos. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so like hiding your kids from chaos never, never does well because the world is chaotic and you kind of got to expose it to them early. For sure. Yeah. And getting them used to being, getting them used to being comfortable while uncomfortable. Yeah. This is a huge life lesson. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what you're doing now, correct? You're pushing entrepreneurs, you're challenging entrepreneurs, training entrepreneurs, yeah. getting them to take some risks and and then helping them navigate through those risks. Yeah. You know, we've built um, a community for entrepreneurs and like, again, it kind of goes into this like entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is another scary thing that I think people are afraid to dive into. But, you know, my goal with it is to give entrepreneurs the tools and the resources and kind of the network of like operators that have been there, done that. And when you surround yourself with like, Hey, like there's a bunch of tools, here's a bunch of tools and here's some people who have done it before. Like it becomes less scary. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, how do we, how do we navigate this? And I, I, you know, like we have the ideas lab, which is a lot about kind of just showing people a whole bunch of ideas, uh, a whole bunch of concepts, a whole bunch of frameworks towards like, Oh yeah, I get it. And, you know, I've always said like, if I showed you a hundred ways to make a million dollars, you could figure out the 101st way. And you start to see all the puzzle pieces and you're like, okay, I got this. Like there's a bit of confidence that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to say it decreases the unknown, but like, you know, having a community to like bounce things off of, having a network of people. Community is huge. Yeah, yeah. Like you're the average of the seven people you hang around, right? Yeah. Like, and so if you're hanging around people who are doing it, getting stuff done, then like you be, like naturally rise to that level. That's awesome. Where can folks find that entrepreneurship lab and the info on that? Yeah, it's called the, the Rich Ideas Lab. Um, it's a you know a community, and you can go to richideaslab.com. And, uh, you know, we do free trials and all that stuff. And there's courses. There's, you know, what we call jam sessions, which is kind of us just jamming on ideas and talking about, you know, maybe there's members that have a business, and they're like, hey, should, should I do this or should I do that? And there's some really solid hitters in there that, mm-hmm. you know, help just want to help other entrepreneurs. That's so helpful just because entrepreneurship is hard and (laughs) it's lonely. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times you just, you need some confidence. You need someone to talk to. Yeah. You need to listen to a few other people's journeys. That's A lot of times you know what to do. You just need that like confirmation. For sure. Yeah. That's huge. That confirmation. Uh Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you swinging by the lab today and getting workout in. Amazing. And it doesn't crush me today. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun.